Hello. Just a short message before we begin this week's podcast. I released my debut album last week here in Australia. It exploded onto the charts. It's number two on the country charts, number eight on the Australia-wide chart, and number 35 on the all-comers Australian Record Industry Association chart. It's massive. And if you've already bought your copy either in-store or online, thank you. If you'd like to help me get to number one, I've included a link in the podcast notes this week. Just click on that link and you can download the digital version of the album or buy a CD. Thanks for your support and your love, no matter where you are on earth. It means the world to me. Now, to this week's podcast. Hello and welcome to My Camino, the podcast. I'm Dan Mullins. My voice is sore again. I sang nearly 50 songs last night. I hope you'll forgive me. It's great to have your company wherever you're listening on this day, this gift, this rotation of the planet. This is a podcast about the Camino de Santiago, or the Way of St. James, a series of pilgrimages across Europe. They say the Camino follows the Earth's ley lines. People say they are called to walk the Camino, and I agree. People say as soon as they heard about the Camino, they just knew they had to do it. I agree. They say they'd never heard about it, but once they did, they couldn't stop thinking about it. I agree. And if you're looking for a potion for your malady, I may have just the solution. El Camino de Santiago. The American novelist and poet Roman Payne said, A person does not grow from the ground like a vine or a tree. One is not part of a plot of land. Mankind has legs so it can wander. Pilgrims wander. The Camino de Santiago is famous for its ability to renew, to provide an existential dialogue, a self-inspection, a spiritual oil change and grease. Put you up on the hoist, rattle around under the bonnet for a while and get you humming again. Well, this week my guest is from my hometown, Sydney. Andrew Zabo wrote to me to say he enjoys the podcast and he's walked the Camino and the detail he shared about his journey made me sit up and listen and I'm sure you will too. I caught up with Andrew at Sydney's Domain, a coffee shop on a sunny Sunday morning. Apologies for all the background noise. It was a magic morning to be honest. I began by asking Andrew to tell us a little bit about himself. Well, I am a 54-year-old. Uh, I'm a teacher and uh, I, my role at my school, I work in a, in a private Catholic school and um, a Jesuit school and my role is head of co-curriculum. So as head of co-curriculum, I'm in charge of all the fun stuff, everything that happens outside of the classroom. Um, all the things that, um, that, that the boys absolutely love. So it's all the sport, all the music, all the drama, all the public speaking, the chess club, all those, all those sorts of things. Things that um, kids, you know, if they may not be good in the classroom, they get a chance to shine outside the classroom and you get to see them in a different light. So it's one of these jobs where, seriously, uh, I, love my, I love my job. I love going to school every day. It's, it's, I wouldn't do anything else. Actually, it's not, even, it's not a job. It's, it's something that I... It's, it's a life. It's a living, yeah. You know, how did the Camino come into your life? Well, okay, it was about 18 months ago and my wife, who's also a school teacher at another school, she teaches a a grade one class, she came home and she said, oh, there's this walk um, called the Camino and her principal had come, come back from doing it in, I think, 2016 and he'd come back and he, he came to the staff and he said, right, I want you all to do this. It's a great experience. Um, and so she came back and she said, <clears throat> do you want to do it? And I went, wow, a walk? That sounds good. And I actually knew nothing at all about the Camino. So we're going back to 2017. So about a, a year before we went in 2018, I knew absolutely nothing um, so that's how I sort of came to the Camino. 
You walked with a school group in 2018 and you called it a posh version. What's a posh version of the Camino? <laughs> yeah, posh version. Okay. Um, this is the version where you pack a suitcase. My wife, my wife packed a suitcase. We got to the airport and it was 25 kilograms. We pack a suitcase and uh, we were told that our suitcase was going to be moved from, from place to place. We stayed in all hotels um, and no albergues. We stayed in all hotels and each night we probably had a better than a pilgrim meal and we probably had the better version of the vino tinto, the wine, each night. And uh, so, uh, but that's not to take away from that. Um, at all that experience um, because the thing about um, the thing about that that experience was my wife would come home from work every day and, and say oh Maria did this and Michelle did that and blah 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 and and it's an experience where where she's talking about all of her teacher buddies at school I don't know who they are so this is a great experience to go um, on a trip and actually get to know them and, and knowing that it was, it was going to be a, a group of primary teachers from a Catholic school, um, it, was, it was really well organised. Um, each night, um, each of us were responsible for, for a couple of things. So every night we had a little bit of a daily reflection. And um, through those daily reflections, I just learnt so much about all these just great people that, that she works with, like just fantastic people. And, and people that have been through, you know, their own struggles and, and so forth. And, um, and they were free and open to talk about them um, on that experience. And so the posh experience was more like, oh. But while I was on it, you're walking past you, you go, oh, what are all these people with backpacks? Big, heavy backpacks. And, and, and they're going into these, these hostels or albergues. What are they? Like, and, and so that sort of sparked obviously sparked a little bit of interest going well the, here's one experience this this posh experience and and don't get me wrong it, it was a lot of fun it, it was a huge amount of fun um and uh <clears throat> i i really got to know them but there was something else there there was something else yeah you wrote to me you said something was missing how did you sense something was missing or why did you sense something was missing if you're having this great experience well, I could see all these other people that were walking and, and you know, a lot of people that, that are walking on the Camino, having now done it a second time, um, a lot of people are walking, you can identify them by countries, you know, people have little flags and things on their backpacks and, and, and so forth. And we did get a, a couple of odd conversations with some other people, but we had a group of 17, so a lot of the time we were... We were walking with people within the group and on a daily basis we were just swapping swapping around and having conversations with different people and getting to know each other really well but there wasn't an opportunity like this year's opportunity to step outside that group and actually get that full Camino experience where you get to meet people from all over the world every different country yeah Yeah. that's interesting because that's such an integral part of it yeah, and and but you being with the group of seventeen on your in inverted commas posh version, you could sense something wasn't quite right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There there was that that missing, and I kind of you know, I kind of go back to like the movie The Way, where I actually watched that after we did the posh version, and I went, oh look, here's a group of people that they sort of just picked each other up on the on the way, and. Uh, I felt like I wanted to do that. So then after that experience, I then started talking to other people that had done it a different way, yeah. you know, in a smaller group. Yeah, okay. And so this, you decided to go back, and this is where it gets interesting. Tell us about your journey leading up to your second Camino. Yes, well, okay. So my journey, um, the first Camino... Uh, I was, I've, I've always been a big guy, okay, for all my life. Um, and I, my weight had ballooned out to about 120 kilos. And we only walked from Astorga to Santiago. Um, and even within that, we actually skipped a couple of towns because we're all on our school holidays. We only had a two-week break. 
So we needed to get this into about a 10-day walk. So we did about 200 kilometres. And uh, so here I was. Even we were walking each day on with a, a little pack, um, just with, you know, some some snacks and some water and, and you know, a jacket or something if it rained, etc. Um, because our, our things were being moved. So I, I wasn't carrying a heavy pack, but I was carrying a heavy body. And uh, at the end of a... At the end of a few days, so one of the worst days was walking um, down, walking, walking down to Acebo, down to um, Molinaseka, which is quite a steep descent. Mm. We got to the bottom there, and literally, I thought my ankles were going to explode. Um, they were swollen. We actually ended up there's a little bridge over yeah. to where the hotel was, and. We could see the water there. I basically just went down there and took my shoes off and put my feet in the icy water to get a bit of an ice bath, checked into the hotel, and I remember waking up in the middle of the night and literally not being able to walk. And this was like day two of a 10-day walk, and I'm thinking, geez, this is not good. Um, And so um, after I I finished, um, I thought, I'm just getting too big. and I've been big all my life. I've, I've lived with, with being overweight all my life. And it's, it's something that's run in, in our family, okay? And, and so there's obviously uh, an overweight gene because um, a couple of my sisters are, are also overweight. And, um, and one of my sisters who was, was larger than me, about three or four years ago, she um, decided to make a, a huge change of direction in life and she underwent this um, operation called a gastric sleeve okay a gastric sleeve is basically where um, they remove a portion of your stomach so that you can't eat very much anymore and um, it pretty well changed her, her life she went from about 150 kilos and now she's down to about 90 kilos Golly. and uh, she was a lot bigger than me um, but the change in her life has just been unbelievable. Like she, she's younger than me, and she's got two young young boys in primary school, and literally, I don't think she could keep up with her young boys. And now, she's just full of energy. Whereas me, I'm, my story is a little bit different. Um, I wasn't, I wasn't as big, but I was big. But you see, my life has always revolved around sport, and so I could keep my my weight in check um, so playing playing sport playing rugby playing basketball playing whatever I was into it all and that, that's, that's been my life but when you stop doing that when you stop playing when you get older that's when the weight starts to pile on because you kind of just keep eating the same amount um, but you're not doing the same amount of exercise and it, it got to a stage where I just I was getting pains in my knees and my ankles and I just went I saw how the outcome for my sister was just so fantastic um, that I went, I want to do this. But it, it was interesting the way people react to it, um, the way they see you. Because when I started talking to my wife about it and my, and my sisters and people around me, they all go, oh, you're not that big. They, they, they obviously see me in a different light. Um, whereas I, I go, well, you can't feel how you know, tough it is, how sore my ankles are and my knees are and my hips and so forth. Um, because I'm out there you know, moving around. I'm, I'm a 50-year-old and I'm, I'm running around um, following the boys in sport on the weekend. And, and I'm an avid walker. I, I had this dog for about 10 years and um, everybody in the neighbourhood around where I live said that's the most walked dog in in the neighborhood i was out there walking him all the time but i was doing all this exercise i was doing that but i just wasn't taking off any weight it was just getting harder and harder and harder so about last year in august um i i had the operation myself it's a huge step it was a a huge choice um anytime you have surgery it's a it's a massive choice i mean things can go wrong and I know that's probably what my wife thought, even though she used to be a nurse before she was a teacher. She, she's going, oh, what if, what if something goes wrong? And that's the risk you take, I suppose, in, in life. If you want to make a change, you've got to take a little bit of a risk and take a bit of a punt. And 
and so I did and and doing a little bit of research about um, this particular procedure there's a lot of people Australians who are overweight so apparently it's 25% plus of the population um, and last year in Australia there were around 25 30,000 people that had this same operation that took the punt to save their life statistically apparently most of them are women because men men sort of are in in terms of issues with their um, medical issues men are always the last ones to make that decision yeah so how much weight have you lost then i've lost 30 kilograms that's in, that's insane to think about 30 kilograms how do you feel absolutely the best i've felt in years it's it's an amazing feeling to to walk around um to walk around pretty well pain free like I've had this dodgy ankle for probably 15 years and when you when you're not carrying 30 kilograms on you that's right the ankle the ankle was permanently swollen and now it's not anymore it's just amazing because pilgrims listening to this now would think about the weight of their pack and you think to yourself oh well you know I mean you're supposed to only carry 10% of your body weight that's the the kind of unwritten law so you're carrying a you're carrying 30 kilos around extra all day, every day, getting in and out of bed, getting in and out of the shower, getting in and out of the car. Must have been an extraordinary journey. And then, so did you lose weight on the Camino? Because you went back, you've just finished walking it, we're going to talk about that now. Did you lose weight on that on that actual walk? The, the second Camino? Yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> I did, but not a huge amount. Um, so it's interesting when when you're in there. Uh, interesting in terms of trying to find a place to weigh yourself when you're on the Camino. Right. <laughs> I, I remember going into an albergue uh, and I tried to communicate with the Spanish hospitalero. I said, "Do you have any bathroom scales?" And he looked at me like I was talking <laughs> English. <laughs> yeah, English. And um, so I put it into my Google Translate bathroom scales. And even when I put bathroom scales. Into, into my Google Translate, the guy's just shaking his head, he's looking at me. And then, and then I like pointed to my stomach and I want to, you know, and he says, oh, oh, you go to the pharmacy. All the pharmacies there have these machines where you put 20 cents into and um, it pumps out your, your height and your weight. And um, so I went in, I'd been walking for about three weeks and I thought, I'm feeling like I'm taking off a little bit of weight. And I, so I went in and I weighed myself and I taken off in the first three weeks about another three kilograms right and then by the time I got to the end I'd probably taken off another another one so by the end I'd taken off about another four kilograms and um, when my wife first saw me um, because she uh, she started with me and walked for about a week and then she left and then she came back and met me in Santiago she looked at me and went oh I think she was a little bit shocked but I believe that the issue um, was more dehydration um, because in the next in the next week or two I put a, a couple of kilos back on so I got back to my stable weight which has been around 90 kilograms mm, mm. Um, so it was more dehydration that's one of the issues when you have this operation is that um, your, your stomach is smaller yeah. and so um, if you're thirsty or hungry there's so much so much so much that you can actually fit into it so therefore you've You've got to be doing things. You've got to you, you've got to plan a little bit. So you've got to be um, drinking um, in small amounts regularly. Okay, you can't go. Oh, I'm really thirsty, and then chug back um, you know a couple of liters of water because well, first of all, your stomach isn't that big. Um, and so I probably was at the end of it. I was probably just a little bit dehydrated, um, but that that changed when I got back into a routine, yeah, back to yeah. my stable weight. So you've just returned. So what months did you walk? Uh, first of all, that's the first question. Was it very busy? Like, did you always get a bed? Yeah, we walked. We pretty well did the whole of May. So we, we started the beginning of May and I finished um, early June. And uh, it, it was actually really busy to start off with. Um, coming in through the, through the Pyrenees, uh, the first day it was raining and we got to Orison. And I knew that my wife was with me for the first week. And um, she wasn't confident that she could get all the way to Roncesvalles. So 
I booked a place at Orison and I can tell you that was the best decision that I ever made because it was pouring with rain, it was freezing cold and you've got eight kilometres of pretty well walking in an upward direction. And we also got the train from um, Beirut across so we didn't really get to Saint-Jean till about 10 o'clock in the morning. Anyway, so we got to Orison and the place was teeming with people, like-minded people that said, please give me a bed. Unfortunately, the place was booked out, so a lot of people were being um, pushed away um, to various other other places. So, uh, <clears throat> yeah, so we, we got to Orison, it was really busy. We got to Roncesvalles, the place was packed. A lot of people were moving on to Baguette, the next little town. Uh, and then the, that first week or so, Zabiri, so many people were... were um, were pushed out of Zabiri because apparently the municipal albergue, which has 160 beds, was was being um, renovated. Right. So there were 160 be- less beds there. So people were were getting to Zabiri and they were jumping in there, um, jumping in a taxi and going to Pampelona, only to jump in a taxi the next day to come back yeah. to Zabiri yeah. so they could do the walk. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it was it was busy after Pampelona. Then it, it, it was busy, but it wasn't packed. You know, we got a bed every night. Um, it, sometimes we booked, sometimes we didn't. We just rolled the dice. <laughs> okay, so so you st- stayed in Albergues pretty much on that second trip around. So you had the posh experience first time. This time Albergues. If that being the case, how did you? What did you make of them? How did how did you find the experience? Uh, well, obviously, it's a mixture, a mixture of, of experiences. Uh, <laughs> There are days where you loved it and there were days where you went, this is the most uncomfortable place I've ever slept in in my life. Um, and then there were other, other days that were great. But, I mean, I don't, I don't think the experience is about the bed you sleep in. It's, about, it's, it's more about the people that you meet and, and the places that you go to. Um, and that, that's the experience. Um, and that's what you do when you sleep, when you're going to those hostels, albergues, because... That's where the people are. That's where there's all these people, you know, sometimes there's 30 or 40 or it could be a hostel with 100. Um, that's your opportunity to, to have that experience, to, to meet people and, and find out a, bit, a, a little bit about them. Yeah, yeah and d- did you get lost? Yes. Did I get lost? <laughs> this was later on. Uh, I did get lost one day. So... <clears throat> Towards the end of the experience, uh, I got to Samos, beautiful town Samos, mm. and Samos. I was by myself then. That was probably the second or third day. Pretty well up to then, I was I was with my little Camino family, but I'd broken away from them because I, I needed to hurry up because I needed to get to Santiago because my wife was meeting me there, basically. Anyway, so I, I got up um, in Samos. It was about 7 o'clock in the morning, beautiful, cool, crisp morning. And um, a lot of people wouldn't wouldn't go the Samos way. They would go a different way. Um, so it wasn't there wasn't a lot of people. So I got up in the morning and you start walking, and you get to a, a little point in the road where where the road where the arrow goes go this way, and that's follow the road, or go this way and follow the track. And like a good pilgrim, you follow the track and you don't walk along the road if you can if you can because the road's a little bit on the boring side. So I got up and there were two people in front of me. There was a young couple in front of me and um, I thought, good, I'll just follow them. Anyway, so they're a little bit younger than me and a little bit faster. And um, as time went on, they sort of, um, I lost them. And I kept looking behind and I'm thinking, oh, okay, there's no one behind me either. This was pretty well the first time that I was on the Camino where I truly went, oh, I'm actually by myself because pretty well all the other ways that I'd gone, um, I had people next to me or people in front of me or people behind me. You, you, it was pretty, it was busy enough. It was, it was May. Anyway, so I'm walking along, I'm walking along and I'm thinking, where are these guys? And um, so... And I'm following signs. Well, I thought I was following signs of arrows, sorry. I thought I was following arrows. And the track was getting a little bit narrow. And I think, oh, this is the Camino Trail. Hundreds of thousands of people walk the Camino Trail every year. Um, and most of the, the tracks are well-trodden and, and, you know, hard and 
rocky or muddy or, or whatever and all of a sudden the track got a little bit thinner it sort of became a a single track and um and then all of a sudden i went oh what's that on my face that's a cobweb and i'm thinking well i wonder how there's a cobweb there where those two people that i saw in front of me they would have hit the cobweb first and uh and so i'm, I'm walking along and i'm thinking oh my god what am i so i'm, I'm having a look um and I got my little, I've got, I've got my little Camino Frances app, which someone had put me onto, and um, it's got a little GPS tracker on it, and it's got all the paths that you can take, all the, all the ways and the alternative paths. So I turned it on, but I wasn't getting any reception because I was in the middle of nowhere. So I kept thinking, will I keep going or will I go back? It's one of those little decisions. You go, if I go back to where I think I may have gone the wrong way. That might be two or three kilometres. So I'm like, maybe I'll just push on. So I eventually got some reception on my phone and I worked out that I had a, a river, a little river stream on the right-hand side of me. And when the app actually worked, it worked out that the track was on the right-hand side of the river. And um, I'm like thinking, crap, what am I going to do? So I thought, oh, I can see... This is coming up to Saria, so I can see, um, I can see maybe there's something ahead or maybe I'll just jump in the river and just get across to the other side. Anyway, so I kept walking, I kept walking and what happened? The Camino provides, there was a bridge. Ah. And uh, the bridge, across the bridge, and I walked another, say, three minutes, and all of a sudden there were people everywhere. Right. So, so I did get lost, but and I was found. found. <laughs> yeah, that's great. That's great. You, you, you mentioned before the albergue experience and how you could have good days and bad days. I think that's a, that's a, a, it's a, a, a good description of the entire Camino experience. You know, some days you think, this is great. And other days you think, oh, man, what am I doing? It's so difficult. But did you have a favourite place? Somewhere that you just thought, this is fantastic, I've got to come back here regularly. Okay, well, <clears throat> did I have a favourite place? I'm not sure if I'd come back here regularly, but my, probably my favourite albergue was the albergue, I'm pretty sure it was in Tosantos. It was a parochial albergue. It was a Donativo place. And uh, I, I got there with my Camino friend um, Nick, and uh, it was his idea. He said, we've got to have this experience. This is the, um, and a few people had told us about it. You know, you go there and you sleep on, on gym mats and uh, you, get, uh, you get to help make dinner. And I thought, oh, well, let's go for it. Um, the sleep on the gym mats, we'll probably leave that one. <laughs> there was about 15 of us cramped into this into this um, little attic at the top um, of the of the albergue yeah. but the, the rest of the experience was what it was all about it was yeah. about 5 o'clock um, about 10 of us um, converged on the kitchen and we were peeling potatoes and we were yeah, chopping yeah, yeah. vegetables and we were cutting up bread my job was to cut up um, more bread than you've ever seen in your life to put in this massive pot which was making garlic soup. I love how they call it garlic soup because um, I'd call it bread soup because it was pretty well a pot full of bread with a little bit of garlic and a few other herbs and a bit of water that was boiled. I and love that soup. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it, was it, was actually, it was actually quite good. Yeah, it I think it's quite funny when you're having the soup and there's bread on the table. <laughs> so you're having... You're having garlic bread soup <laughs> with bread. <laughs> That's very funny. And then, and then the potato salad, um, the, the, that Russian potato salad. But, um, but the, it's, so that was the fun part, um, you know, helping make. And the, the, the Spanish hospitalero was in the kitchen singing songs and we're all humming along with him. It's all in Spanish and I've got no Spanish. Um, then we went to dinner and he gets everybody to, to sing a song, but... They didn't get to Australia. They went to every country, but they didn't get to Australia. I was thinking, what am I going to sing? You know, Waltzing Matilda or Timey Kangaroo Down or something like that. And, um, but then probably the best part was actually the prayers after. Um, so we, afterwards, uh, we went up to the little prayer room, which is right at the top of the albergue. Actually, quite, it's right next to where we were sleeping. 
and um, had all these prayers in, in this box and people had written these prayers and the way that it goes, um, the prayers were written 21 days or 20 odd days um, before because they they say that, that this albergue in, in uh, Tos Santos is about three weeks from Santiago. So we were reading out prayers for that people had left there that were just a, just probably in Santiago and, and just finishing. And it was a really... And they were all in different languages as well. So if there was a French person in the room, they'd be reading out the prayer in, in French, and, you know, a couple of English people, some Spanish, oh, some Italian. What a great story. And um, we read out these prayers, and they were, it was so moving. I mean, I was only understanding the ones in English because my language is uh, pathetic. Um, but then we got to write our own prayers. Um, not then, but before we left, in the morning... We went to um, give our donation, and there was a little um, little book there to and some pens and paper to write your own prayer. And I was I was sitting there going, "Well, this is writing a prayer um, for for to myself when I was going to be finishing in the next in, oh, in three weeks what away." A great story. Yeah. So it was, yeah, it's it's a it's a great spot. If you want luxury accommodation, that's not where you'd be going. <laughs> we paused for a moment to move into the sun. It was getting a bit cold in the shade. And I asked Andrew about something he wrote to me. He said that he'd had such a fantastic experience, but he may not have had the same experience and even the confidence to achieve what he had if he'd been so overweight. That's hard to explain. You know, for when, when someone is, is overweight, I mean, I've, I had lived with it for a lot of my life, but especially for the youth. I mean, I teach in a school and... You know, people that are overweight are ostracised by society. So, um, so it's a really tough thing um, to deal with, and it, and it's, it can wear away your confidence. And um, I've often considered myself to be a reasonably confident person, but you know, when you get bigger and bigger, and you've got aches and pains, and you've got all these worries, um, I, I I just don't know how I would have how my walk would have gone um, if I had just come back and walked at 120 kilos actually physically I don't think I would have been able to yeah. walk, walk for five weeks at 120 kilograms plus uh, eight or nine kilo pack that I was carrying um, you know so that's that's me carrying around 130 kilos um, so physically it would have been tough but but sort of internally as well I probably would have just got to a place and just just died and lay down and not had the energy even to socialise, yeah. which is one of the biggest things. You, you get to the end of the day and, um, you know, you have a little bit of a rest um, and then it's all about, you know, you're in an albergue or, or you're close to a bar or something like that and it's and it's catching up with all those people. Mm. Like That's if, wonderful, isn't it? It's, it's, it's catching up with the people that you talk to. Hey, you know, during the day they go, hey, we're going to meet for a drink or hey, we're going we're gonna to do dinner tonight. Um, if you're you know, if you're so physically exhausted at the end of the day, all you want to do is just go and, and sleep. You wouldn't have the energy to do all that, and you'd miss out on probably the most important part of the Camino, which is that that aspect, that social aspect, the people. Yeah. yeah. And I, I read a lot of your blog, and you were really going through a transition um, because, in, in 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 many ways, the way I kind of read it, it was, you know, Andrew, you'd left, you were saying goodbye to old Andrew. And hello to new Andrew. Have you had a chance to read it back? And I wondered then what you've made of it since, now that you've been back a few months. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a, an interesting question. Um, I I read it back, and I it makes me feel really good. Yeah, sure. Uh, internally, yeah. it makes me feel really good that that I achieve something. I mean, I come back and I say. And people go, oh, what did you do on your on on your long service leave, on my break? Oh, walked 800 kilometres across Spain. You know, I mean, that's an that's an achievement in in itself. But uh, but I, I did it with 30 less kilograms, um, and and I met a whole lot of amazing people on on the way. So it, it's just it it. It's one of the best um, experiences that, that I've ever had in, in my life. It, it, it truly is, yeah. 
tell us about the actual process of blogging. Did you write it on a laptop or, a, or an iPad or oh, you took an iPad? Yeah, yeah, I took I took my iPad with me, um, and I actually blogged on a on an app called Journey. Um, I was about to ask about that. Yeah, yeah. and uh, I got introduced to this the year before because one of the, the teachers from my posh experience, um, she was actually it was quite a few of them actually. There were there were a few of them were, that were using this journey app, and um, at the end of the process, so so you write you write um, some words every day, and people that are following me can can see it on on this journey app along with you're allowed to put 10 photos on there and at the end of it you actually click a button and um, they actually send you a hardcover book with all of your blogging and all of your photos I haven't got it yet only I only bought it about a week ago I think it takes a couple of weeks to come but it's uh, but I've seen the versions that others have from last year from the 2018 version it's amazing it's, it's just a hard covered it's like a coffee table book that you can you can have at home and you can pick it up. It's a little bit different to like, I love the coffee table book. You know, someone comes in and goes, ah, oh, what's this? Oh, wow, flick through. Oh, there, that's great. Oh, look, that's your story about your Camino experience and your photos and so forth. Yeah. Yeah. It's not spelt journey, is it? How's it spelt? It's journey with an I. So J-O-U-R-N-I. Right. Yes. And it's an app. So uh, forgive me, it's a vulgar question, but how much does it cost for the book? The book um, cost about a hundred and twenty Australian. It was about, I think it was about eighty euros, or so, with delivery from overseas. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's not too bad. It'd be a lovely thing to have something that you could show around. I mean, something real. You took thousands of photographs, though. Did you stop? I mean, if you're taking that many photographs, doesn't it take you like ten hours to walk each day? <laughs> you know what the beauty about um, walking in a group is. Um, the beauty about another app is WhatsApp, is that um, other people put their photos and then your phone will automatically save all their photos as well. So you've got all everybody in the group's photos. So in the, in the first experience, we had 17 people on a WhatsApp group and people were taking photos and, and so the whole group had everybody else's photos. So you had thousands of photos. And, and this time as well, um, I don't know if I had thousands of photos, but... Uh, but we were doing much the same thing, our, our little group. We were sharing photos with each other and, and so forth. So we, you know, maybe we took 10 or 20 photos a day, but when you multiply that by yeah. however many people in the group, now you've got 100 photos per day. So, yeah, yeah. 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 You know, I want to get back to, the, to your journey and, and the, your transformation. Did you think much about the achievement while you were walking? Did you think much about... Um, was it really part of your consciousness? You know, I'm lucky to even be here, to be doing this. Yeah, well, the Camino is all about thinking. It's all about time to yourself. It's all about um, it's all about reflection. It's all about discernment. It's um, these are all words from my <laughs> from my education. Yeah. Uh, it, when you work in a, in a Jesuit school, um, we we have this thing called the Ignatian pedagogical paradigm so you experience you reflect and then you are spurned into action um, and when you're on the Camino um, you're experiencing something that's unique that a lot of people don't get a chance to experience um, and then you have all this time to reflect and yes you're walking with people um, I had a great group of, of um, Camino buddies that I walked with but that didn't mean that we were talking eight hours a day um, so you have all this time to reflect and a lot of the time um, I was reflecting about uh, about my journey and thinking hey I couldn't have done this 12 months ago and look what I, look how far I've come look you know look at I, I'm the healthiest I've probably been in you know in years no, I don't even want to think about how many years it is but it was the healthiest I've been in years um, and look what I'm achieving here like if I said to other people that I was going to walk 35 40 kilometers in a day people would be, people would be laughing I remember around Sydney we have this beautiful thing called the seven bridges walk every year which um, I've been on a couple of times and um, that's 28 kilometers and the first time I did it 
I think I had to take two days off work. <laughs> it's like I had to take two days off walk because I walked I walked the, the seven bridges around beautiful Sydney, and um, then I spent the next two days limping around around work. <laughs> yeah, but um, then to by the end of it, when I had my last week of my Camino, when um, when I when I'd broken away from my group and I was by myself. Um, I'm thinking, God, I'm doing 35 kilometre days. I'm doing it with ease, um, and I, I could, I could keep going. Yeah. I could wow. keep going, and I wanted to. I did, I did want to keep going past Santiago, but sort of on a bit of a time constraint. So we didn't, and I'm glad I didn't because, because I actually stayed in Santiago for a couple of days and met my Camino friends as they came in over the next couple of days, which was, which was a great experience. Yeah. Uh, and you wrote to me to say being overweight or obese is a real a real societal issue on a healthy living level, but also a mental health level, and that's a critical point, isn't it? Uh, the mental health aspect of 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 being obese, you, you, it must play on your mind every day, and you've been able to cast a lot of that aside. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> but not everybody can. Not everybody that's overweight. Um, can do that. I mean, I personally learnt, learnt to live with it, but, but a lot of people don't. Um, they don't. They, they, you know, they get ridiculed by society because they're overweight and that, you know, that leads them further spiralling down and, um, you know, into depression and all those sorts of things. Now, I've never been able to do that. And I think it, in my life it was more to do with the fact that um, I got acceptance um, through the fact that I was actually good at sport, and I played sport. And being being big in in football, rugby, is actually an advantage. Um, but if I wasn't good at sport, I'd some I'd sometimes think, I wonder if I wasn't wasn't good at playing rugby, or if I wasn't good at some of these other sports where I I made a whole lot of friends, um, uh, really good friends. If I wasn't good at that, what what would my life have been like? Um, you know. Um, because a lot of overweight people find find it really hard because that's just our society um, is that we we sort of look look down on people that that are overweight what can we do about that it's not an easy thing it's like people people look at you and go well just take off the bloody weight yeah no 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 but it it it's not that easy like for years and years I've been been on diets and everybody knows you go on diets you take some weight off and then you stop that diet and you just put it back on. Yeah. You stop doing what you were doing, you put it back on. I, I went on a diet, um, a really popular one, high-protein diet. Ended up, I ended up getting gout because gout is a, is a problem where you eat too much protein. The pro, eating too much protein is really good for taking off weight. But if your body's susceptible to, to gout and all of a sudden you get this thing where you can't move your toes and your knees because they're... They've got all these little crystals that are—that's what gout is. Crystals of uric acid in your in your joints. It's like, okay, oh, I can't do that protein diet anymore because if I do that, I'm I'm not going to be able to walk around yeah. because I've got a swollen knee. And I get gout if I eat too many prawns for some reason. Yes. So every January or after Christmas every year, I think, oh no, and it wakes me up in the middle of the night, and I, it's the worst thing. I can't stand it. But you mentioned the about this kind of sedentary um, lifestyle in, in a sense becoming part of your psyche it's very important then and you working with young people I think it's very important that I ask that question because when I was a kid we used to ride bikes and we'd swim and we played football and we played cricket and we were constant I remember mum would ring a bell at night and we'd come out of you know the bloke across the street said you'd see Mullins boys climbing out of chimneys out from under cars and coming home on bicycles and stuff. We, we an entirely different generation now. And I know a lot of people listening will, would have children, perhaps even grandchildren. There's a very powerful message in that too, isn't there? That we need to be mindful of the power of exercise in, in healthy living, healthy, healthy mental health. Absolutely. You and I are brought up in the same generation. I'd, I spent my childhood riding a bike all yeah. around the place, playing every sport, but we didn't have 
We didn't have the iPad. We didn't have the, the, the phone. We didn't have all of the, ga- the computer games that pretty well tie you down and, and, and sit you down. And so my life in, in my work is, is about getting kids out playing sport. Fantastic. And, and unfortunately in our society, um, things are changing because like a lot of people in our busy lifestyles, parents' busy lifestyles, um, they don't have a lot of time to get their kids to sport on the weekend and you know when my parents were like that but I was brought up in a, in a different generation because my parents um, they ran a business and they worked on the weekends but I jumped on my bike and took myself to my sport or I jumped on the bus or I jumped on the train and these, day, par- these days parents don't do that or parents go well, if you're going to play um, you know a game of whatever basketball cricket rugby um, I've got to, I've got to drive you there, you know that type of thing, and a lot of them will go. Well, I can't drive you there, so you, you know I'm not going to register for you to play in that sport. And it's a real problem for society. We need our kids to get out and get out and exercise um, and get away from the screen um, because it's got all these, you know, exercise as we know is great is great for your for your mental health. It, it's so, it's so great. I can't imagine how um, sitting at a screen all day is good for your mental health. Mm. Let's go back to the Camino. What's the best part about being a pilgrim? Nothing to worry about. Really. You get up, oh, I mean, yeah, you have the odd worry that you might not get a bed at night, but that never happened to me, so I didn't experience that. Um, <clears throat> but there's no worries. You just get up and you walk and it's a, it's just a simple life that um, that takes you so far removed from from what all of us do in our daily lives. Like I get up in the morning and I go, I gotta go to work. <laughs> um, I've got I've got to get fifteen hundred kids on on the sporting field on the weekend, and I've got two hundred coaches that I've got to make sure they turn up to to, to train them and blah blah blah. Uh, and that that's what I do for a living. I got to go to the Camino. And I got to get up in the morning, to, to get up in the morning, and all I had to do was grab my pack and start walking. Um, and so, uh, it's a it's a it's a simple life that um, really, in terms of just getting away and recharging and renewing and regenerating, I just can't recommend it more to people. And. I want to go back and do more. <laughs> <laughs> so do I. I'm really, I'll tell you, I'm getting the pull. It's like the draw is just so powerful at the moment. What did you find most challenging about the Camino? Getting enough sleep. That's probably the most challenging. When you are in those albergues, um, oh, think about it. <clears throat> You're in a different bed every night. You're on a different mattress. <laughs> Um, getting a comfortable sleep, um, that's probably one of the most challenging things. Um, I mean, I could... Uh, when, you, when you're going on the Camino and you're going to be by yourself, um, the challenge that was probably in my mind beforehand was, oh, will anybody talk to me or anything like that? Well, that's laid to rest after a couple of days. Um, I, did start with my, I did start with my wife and she walked to Pamplona and then... Um, then she uh, left with a horrendous blister on her heel and uh, went off to, um, she's, she's Scottish and she went off to Scotland and spent some time with her family and then four weeks later came back to meet me. So then I was by myself and um, literally um, took me about half a day. I stopped for lunch. I was sitting, having some lunch all by myself um, outside a cafe and there was this uh, Scottish guy and an American woman, they're sitting there. And I just overheard them talking and I just chimed into their conversation and I ended up walking the next four weeks with that Scottish guy. You know, it's as simple as that. And we picked up other people on the way that, that, that you meet. Um, and and uh, as you know, these people become, well, they become your lifelong friends. Yeah, that's yeah. right, they do. It's fantastic. It's such a great community. Not necessarily even of people, but perhaps of souls. Because you sort of think, well, I, I, I kind of sense them, those people. Even though they're not here, I can kind of sense them. It's a lovely feeling, it really is. 
Uh, 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 tell us about arriving in Santiago de Compostela. Well, it was the second time I got there. Uh, but when I arrived, oh, there's a little bit of uh, a funny story. Um, uh, I was walking by myself and I had actually spent the last night in La Covala, which is only 10 kilometres away, so that I had it. I wanted to have a short walk so that I could get to the Pilgrim's Mass, so time it for the midday Pilgrim's Mass. Unfortunately, Santiago Cathedral is closed at the moment, so the Pilgrim's Mass not, is not in the cathedral, it's in the little mini cathedral, which is just down the road, which um, for, for pilgrims this year is, is a bit disappointing um, to not go to the main cathedral. Um, but I walked, I'm walking into the town and I'm literally 50 metres from, from the steps where you go down where the bagpipes are playing, yeah. morning, moon, moon and night. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I get to a little road crossing and I see these two people in front of me. And I go, oh my God, these are two, two there's an Australian couple that I met four weeks ago and had walked probably the first week and they had walked with my wife so my wife knew them as well and I knew that I'd I would have gone past them by a mile and I just walked up to them and said where did you guys come from (laughs) and uh yeah the cat was out of the bag they said they woke up in Saria that morning and this is this was like their fourth or fifth time that they'd walked the Camino they woke up in Saria and they just went they looked at each other and went I've had enough. They jumped on a bus and took a bus to Santiago, which just got off there, literally just there where I'd, I'd seen them. And um, they didn't want to tell anybody that they cheated. But <laughs> you caught them out. So I caught them out. <laughs> um, and, I, and so I ended up um, walking to Santiago with them, which was, which was really nice. Beautiful couple from the Sunshine Coast in, in Queensland. And I'd, I'd love to catch up with them um, at, at some time. Um, but uh, yeah, so we the three of us ended up walking in together, and uh, and you walk in, and and for me it's um it's that it's that feeling that you've just you've just successfully finished, you've completed a journey, you've, you've fulfilled something that you've really wanted to do, you've achieved something. It's it was a real sense of achievement, um, you know, with all the change in my life that I'd been through and the losing of the weight and, and everything it was like it was like this culmination I just I'd gone yeah I've, I've done it um, and it was it was a really good feeling and then it was good to see my wife after not seeing her for a month as well yeah. <laughs> tell us a Camino story okay so the Camino is an interesting place in, in terms of the, the people that that you meet along the way and so I remember um, I was in Burgos and, and oh, this is not really part of the story, but I got myself a, during the journey, I got two places where I, I got a nice place and, and we did it. My, my, Camino, my Camino family, we all decided that Burgos and Leon were our, our two cities where we were getting a hotel and we were just going to be by ourselves and have our own room and our own bathroom. And, and not share with 20, 40, 100 people. Anyway, so I got to Burgos, and the place that I had, um, uh, I really wanted to have a massage. I felt like I needed, you know, I needed a massage. And I got in there, and they go, oh, sorry, all the massages are taken in, in this particular hotel. But the, the, the girl goes, but we've got this this um, pool and spa downstairs. And I went, oh, okay. So went downstairs, and there, were, there was this pool and spa, and fantastic I had an hour there all by myself nobody else had all these jets so it was just like having a massage but anyway so then I went outside and I was trying to catch up with some people and uh, I think I think it took too much out of me and so I think I was I was feeling a little bit queasy a little bit maybe dehydrated or something and I was sitting in the middle of Burgos in this little park just watching people walk past and and this woman Donna who I'd met um, back in in Orison, the very first day, and I kept she kept popping up everywhere, and this is part of the story. Um, she came up and she said, "Oh, hey, how are you, how are you doing?" And I said to her, oh, "I'm not feeling the best. I'm just feeling a bit queasy. I might just walk back to the hotel and just have a bit of a rest." 
because I was going to meet some people later on um, for dinner. And um, as we walked, it was about a 500 metre walk back to the hotel, the two of us probably stopped 10, 15, 20 times and talked to people, um, people that the two of us had met and pretty well a lot of them were in common. And by the time we got back to my hotel, I said, I said, I, I looked at Donna and I said, have you ever been to Burgos before? She said, no. Isn't it interesting? How many people that we know in Burgos today? <laughs> Did you just notice that we just spent the last half an hour stopping and talking? And, and, and it's, it's a unique thing about the Camino. It's, it's so unique. I, I, if I flew to Burgos today and walked through the streets, I'd know nobody. But because I'd been walking the Camino and we'd been walking and, and meeting people on, along the way, a lot of the people were there in Burgos were people that had walked around the same pace as us, people that we'd had coffees with or we'd, we'd even just said hello to. And it, it's just it's such a unique thing. I'm like, isn't this amazing? I knew 30 or 40 people in Burgos. <laughs> <laughs> I love that because, you know, and by, by the time you get to lay on, you could quadruple that. Yeah, 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 abs- yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And, and by the time we got to Santiago, um, we, by the time my, I got to Santiago, but a couple of days later when my, so I'd sped up and I got a couple of days ahead of them, but by the time my Camino buddies came in, um, we decided to, um, to meet up for dinner. And so one of the people that I was walking, walking, uh, walking with, um, the Scottish guy, Nick, he goes, well, we're meeting at such and such um, place for dinner. Anyway, so I turned up with my wife and um, there are about 40 people at the table. And I'm like, this is, this is just amazing. There were 40 people and out of the 40 people at the table, I probably, I probably knew 30 of them. Yeah. And, and from, from the journey. Yeah. And... So, I mean, and it's a word of mouth thing as well. Like, someone told somebody, "Hey, there's a dinner on tonight." Somebody told another yeah, person, yeah. "There's a dinner on," and it's all these people that you'd you'd walked with and you'd you'd got to know along the way, and Fabulous. and there was probably close to forty people there. Yeah, it was just right. amazing. Yeah, it is amazing. So, where to from here? You've had this new lease on life, a new energy. Where to? What's next? I've got to go back. Um, <laughs> I've got to go back and, and, and do it again. Uh, I don't know when, but I'm, I'm sure I will. But there's other, there's other um, journeys. So my posh group, um, they're organising uh, a Camino in Italy, um, possibly next year. So that's in, in its early stages. Um, and also um, my school, my school that I teach at, um, a few people are talking about doing a Camino Ignacio. And um, the Camino Ignacio is um, is tracing the steps of Saint Ignatius, and so that one goes starts in San Sebastian and sort of comes down um, to some of the cities um, that that Saint Ignatius was in, and uh, it comes through Pamplona. When we were in Pamplona, I went to the, there's a statue of, of um, Saint Ignatius in pa- in Pamplona because um, he protected the city against the French um, invaders in 1520. And um, it was a f- it's famous in his life story because that's where he was hit by a cannonball and he broke his leg and spent the next year recovering and that's when he changed his life and d- the direction of his life. So there's the there's the uh, the, the school that that I work in and and the school's named after um, and he's a guy who changed the direction of his life and that's kind of what I what I'm doing and what a lot of people are doing when they when they walk so um so the Camino Ignacio is something that's uh, I've got some interest in as well well good luck I hope you keep on walking and learning and spreading a very important message I've thoroughly enjoyed talking with you today thanks so much for your time and your energy and for, for reaching out to me to tell your story because I've thoroughly enjoyed speaking with you Buen Camino Buen Camino Dan my guest this week, the Australian pilgrim Andrew Zabo. We were in a little cafe opposite the New South Wales Art Gallery on the fringe of Sydney's domain, near the Royal Botanical Gardens. Wherever you're listening, I hope you're celebrating and loving life. Your 
pilgrimage. The American novelist and poet Roman Payne said, A person does not grow from the ground like a vine or a tree. One is not part of a plot of land. Mankind has legs so it can wander. In wonder. The new album Duende is out and available for purchase online all around the world. You just go to danmullinsmusic.com. Life is good. Until next week, I'm Dan Mullins. Buen Camino. <laughs>